Welcome to Career Buzz, stories show that who you are matters. Today on your show, what to do if you have a career in airlines, hotels, conference centers, food service, all of which have been deeply affected by the pandemic. Hi, I'm Mark Franklin, practice leader of a team of professional career counselors at careercycles.com and co-founder of One Life Tools. I'm pleased to be your host today on Career Buzz. Thanks for tuning in this morning. What's a flight attendant to do during a pandemic? What are hotel and food service workers to do? Adam Pisarek works as an in-flight manager for Air Canada Rouge, or should I say worked as an in-flight manager. Due to his strong track record, his employer kept him employed to wait it out. What's the job of an in-flight manager? How are airlines waiting it out? We speak to Adam Pisarek in the second part of today's show, but first... The pandemic has affected some sectors harder than others. Hospitality and food service is one of the most affected sectors by the preventive measures to avoid COVID spread. Businesses in hospitality and food service have closed their doors, resulting in massive layoffs. Ruth Rakoff is Director of Programs at Hospitality Workers Training Centre, a nonprofit contributing to a strong hospitality industry. Normally, the centre provided training to hospitality job seekers, but during the pandemic, the centre pivoted to support Toronto hospitality industry workers who are struggling with practical resources on financial aid, food security, housing, and employment. Here's my interview with Ruth Rakoff. All right, welcome Ruth Rakoff to Career Buzz. Glad to have you join today. Thanks so much for inviting me to join. Um, so you're the uh, director of programs at Hospitality Workers Training Center. Ruth, what do you like about your career these days? Um, well, uh, first of all, I'm very grateful to have a career these days, given the the situation out there in the world uh, and so many people profoundly affected and impacted by COVID. Um, so I like that. I like that I still have a career. Um, and because of uh, both the nature of the job and the nature of the world, uh, I am profoundly challenged these days. I have to use every single skill set that I've ever picked up along the way uh, in order to do my job. So what is, what is the job, um, the, the director of programs job? What are you doing? And I know things have changed a lot for you in the pandemic as everybody, but what, what kinds of things do you actually do? What sort of roles or hats do you wear? Oh, um, that's such a big question, Mark, um, because it's, it's changed so much in the past year. Um, and I... As the director of programs, we are—I don't know if you want to hear about what we do as the workforce, as the hospitality workers training center, how we've morphed, and how that impacts the jobs that I do. Sure. Yeah. But, so, so just to familiarize listeners with the the center, what did it do before the the pandemic, and what's it doing now? So prior to the pandemic, the Hospitality Workers Training Center was a sector-specific rapid labor market attachment organization, which meant that instead of just saying to somebody who's looking for work, um, here's a computer course, now you have a marketable skill, uh, sector-specific programs focus on uh, specific need in specific industry and then trains people up to work and fill jobs where they are in demand. 
Um, so we used to run uh, hands-on vocational training programs for people with barriers to workplace entry for entry-level jobs in hospitality. Toronto had, I think it was 27,000 open uh, entry-level jobs in hospitality. I could be getting the number wrong. And so it was a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel. We, you know, we could train people up. We had ran five or six different programs. We had a social enterprise restaurant where we trained people in culinary, in front of houses, kitchen porters. And we worked in hotels, training people to be room attendants and guest services people. And and uh, so it was very hands-on. It was very um, um Here's, here's what you have to do. We would train them. We would um, give them, as part of their program, a uh, placement in front of an employer who was hopefully looking to hire. So it was like a between a three to ten shift uh, placement, depending upon um, which program they were in. And then hopefully they would get hired out of that placement or we would help them find a job and we had an 85% uh, employment uh, completion and employment rate which is um, which is pretty amazing in this sector where uh, not everybody can claim that but of course with the pandemic uh, we've had to change our tack from uh, entry-level people uh, to, and entry-level positions to displaced hospitality workers. So you asked me what I do in my job. Um, what I've been doing in my job in the last year is trying to figure out what works and what, what we need to be doing and who we need to be serving. And, uh, you know, certain things became unrealistic, like finding people entry-level jobs in hospitality when everybody was losing their jobs in hospitality. And... Um, other things seemed to emerge as um, necessary, like helping all these displaced hospitality workers who are not going to be called back that quickly. Even as the, as the economy recovers and the sector recovers, uh, it is going to be amongst the slowest areas to recover because it's going to be a long time for gathering at conferences or festivals or anything like that, which is a large uh, section of the hospitality industry. Uh, and we've taken on a whole bunch of new projects over the year, including um, we've just uh, partnered with um, with Unifor, which is one of the unions that represents uh, many of the hospitality workers across Ontario to serve a thousand plus members who have been displaced by the pandemic. We're partnering with organizations like the um, Healthcare Housekeeping um, Ontario Help. What are they called? Ontario Healthcare Housekeeping Association, and we're taking people who used to be housekeepers in, in hotels, and if they have two or more years' experience, we're putting them through a uh, transitioning program, and then a they have the opportunity to do an online um, environmental services, frontline environmental services certification that they need to work in healthcare. Um, so we're looking for opportunities like that, and I would say that the biggest thing about my uh, job is that I, uh, I have to identify need, make stuff up, as in, okay, this is what the need is, maybe this will work, and be willing to take the risk. Uh, 
you know, and say, come on, everybody, get on the train and uh, keep it moving forward. So lots of roles. Just just to help listeners understand it, if we talk about the hospitality workers, it's hotels, conference centers. What what are all of the employers that are in this sector? And and clearly they've been affected by the pandemic. And what are the, some of the places where you see them going um, as they pivot their own careers and work during these times, these uncertain times? So, um, hospitality includes, includes um, hotels, conference centers, uh, gaming, um, like casinos, uh, restaurants, bars, um, anything of that sort. Um, so, hospitality and tourism. Um, people who work in hospitality um, have to be available. 24-7 hotels and restaurants and things like that are around the clock. It's shift work. It's hard work. Um, it requires good people skills and customer service skills. And so people who have come out of hospitality have a lot of transferable skills, uh, including, like I said, the highest on the list of any employers, which is availability. Um, so people, depending upon the level of hospitality that they're coming out of, uh, they're transitioning into different positions. So we've had people come through our pivot program, which is a fast two-week program uh, for people with experience. And we're getting people from all different levels of hospitality. And some of our you know, management level people are going into bank positions or uh, other customer service roles or sales roles, a lot of um, online customer service stuff that has blossomed and emerged. People who were in food and beverage are now producing for supermarkets instead of for restaurants, um, private caterers, things like that. So it depends. And, and like I said, that the healthcare field is, uh, unfortunately also blooming mm-hmm. so. so so some of the destinations for these workers as they pivot healthcare, uh, banking and commerce sales so some of the places that have grown during the pandemic while others have clearly contracted mm-hmm. yeah and, and hotels are like many cities right they have everything so so you know Every, anything that exists in a hotel exists outside of a hotel, except maybe, you know, beds for rent. My guest today is Ruth Rakoff. She's Director of Programs at Hospitality Workers Training Center. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. So, Ruth, it sounds like you've had to have many transferable skills yourself to be successful in this job, I know you're in the midst of some recruiting, so you're a recruiter and an interviewer. What are all the skills that you use to be successful in this role? Oh, gosh. So I have, I have an unusual background um, because I never, um, I never got the label. I'm not a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, something that is clearly defined. I'm somebody who's said yes to opportunities as they emerge through my life and learned along the way and, and uh, applied skills from what I learned last time to next time. Um, you know, what can you do with a BA in English? So um, I, uh, I've done a lot of work. I, I actually um, 
studied hotel and restaurant management many, many, many moons ago. I thought I wanted to be a chef. I was working as a cook in a restaurant and uh, thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll go get trained as a chef because that's kind of what I want to do. And uh, when I went to the chef school, I was living abroad at the time. And, and when I went into the chef school to apply, they looked at me and they said, you have a BA. You're not going to, this is a, this is a program for people who are going to work as line cooks. You're going to be bored. Go do management. So I went and did hotel and restaurant management and um, and worked in that for a while and, and uh, eventually moved back to Toronto, ran a catering company and then said, okay, I want to have a family, but this is a business that runs 24-7. How do I have a family and stay in this business? So I went back to my roots, uh, which was teaching, and I started teaching. I trained to do English as a second language and went into adult education so that I could uh, manage raising a family. And then um, because of the hotel restaurant management, I had a business background. I had a, uh, my English degree. I can write. I can talk. Um, I had uh, teaching experience. I had been a camp director. I had, uh, you know, managed people. Uh, and things sort of evolved. And as you know, opportunities came my way, um, I just sort of jumped in. And so I ended up... Uh, you know, somebody, a friend said, we were having a problem at my kid's daycare. We need somebody who has business skills to step in. Um, I said, are you offering me a job? <laughs> and they said, well, I can't offer you a job, but, you know, come and check it out. So I uh, ended up doing that for five years. And um, when I finished that, I decided that what I'd really been doing for five years other than running a daycare was family mediation. So I went and got a certification in family mediation um and I did that for a while and then something else came along that was sort of management and education and mediation and um and uh, and then a, a couple of years ago this job uh for an organization that was looking for somebody with a background in hospitality management and adult education popped up and I I thought okay well you know how can I say no to that one but the job itself has morphed and, and, and required that I use all of my skills, my management skills, my business acumen, my communication skills, my, you know, my capacity to manage teams and people and develop curriculum. And so it all, it all comes to play. Um, it, it's yeah. a, it's a, you know, and I, you've just taken us on a little bit of a career journey here through your story and, the dots do seem to connect as you go through from one thing to another that led from chef to uh, to the business of, of daycare to, to mediation. Um, and, and I know there was some writing there. You actually said, you started off saying you had a degree in English, a BA in English. Um, if I just take you back there, do you remember at the time with that degree what the career plan was, you know? People always ask, I think it's, you know, a problematic question. What are you going to do with that degree? What are you going to do with a degree in English? Um, what was the career plan back then? A career plan in my 20s? crazy? I didn't have a career plan. I, I, uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I, um, I happened to, I, I did crisis intervention throughout my university career as, as a volunteer. And when I finished university, I got offered a job doing research in a psych unit. And 
I took that job, but it, I, I never had a plan. There was no plan. But I, along the way, I acquired skills. My father, who um, passed away a few months ago, said, say yes. Just say yes. So I said yes. And um, I'm lucky. I am flexible. I'm versatile. I am, I'm, I, there's certain things I know that I'm good at and have to remind myself that they're skills because I know I'm good at them and they, you know, if I can do them, they don't really seem like skills, but uh, I'm, I'm a good organizer. I'm a good educator. I'm a good communicator. Um, I have to, every time I, you know, say, okay, time to look for a new job. I have to remind myself that those are things that I can do that aren't taken for granted. I never had a plan. I still don't have a plan. Yeah, well, the, the, maybe it wasn't a plan, but the, the career um, glue or the, the planning was this idea to just say yes. And it sounds like you consistently put yourself in a place where people were able to see some qualities or skills. And, and then your approach was to say yes, that gave you a lot of different experiences um, including, I know, writing. I mean, just connected back to the degree, one of the things that you have done, in addition to leading and managing and directing, is writing. What, so there's, is that a parallel career path, or how does the writing and authoring fit into your, your story? Um, so um, in, in some ways, writing is the family business that I come from. Everybody in my family writes um, in some way or another. So uh, I, I, and I'm somebody who's always needed to make things. I, I, I've painted, I've sculpted, I've, um, uh, I'm, I'm a lousy painter. I'm a reasonably good sculptor. I'm, you know, a mediocre potter. I, I, uh, but I always need to make things. And um, I started writing at a moment in time where I couldn't do any of that other stuff. Uh, not for the, intention of publishing but because I, I needed to in fact what I was really doing at the time was journaling um, and uh, I, I didn't tell anybody I was doing it I just sort of was writing for my own purposes and um, my brother who's also passed away was was quite a well-known author and um, about a year into writing I, I said you know I've been writing and uh, he said, oh, show me what you've been writing. Uh, I said, nah, you know, no, don't worry about it. He said, no, no, send it to me. And so I sent him what I'd been writing. And he said, well, this is publishable. I said, no, I didn't write it to publish it. He said, no, 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 this is publishable. Anyhow, I ended up publishing and then um, published a memoir. Um, decided I never wanted to write anything about myself ever again. Because uh, everybody's heard enough about me. Uh, and started writing fiction, and I'm actually in the process of, uh, I have an agent who's trying to sell a novel of mine right now. So it, it is my, I, I don't think of it as a career. I barely like to say I'm a writer. And, and yet here we are with, what, two or three books in the works are published, both fiction and memoir. Yeah. Um, if listeners want to find out about those published works, what are they? How do they find out about them? I only have one published work. It's called uh, When My World Was Very Small. 
Uh, it's published by Random House Canada. Uh, I think it's available on Amazon, although I hate supporting Amazon. Sorry, I'm allowed to say it on your show. But, um, <laughs> Already said. Um, and uh, the working title of the one that's uh, sort of on the, on the block right now is called Untethered. A novel. A novel. We'll look for it soon. I hope so, from your mouth. My guest today is Ruth Rakoff. She's Director of Programs at Hospitality Workers Training Center. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. Um, Ruth, one of the other things I, I know that's part of your story, not only writing and managing, but uh, teaching, and you taught for a while as well. Um, and I know sometimes when people think, well, what am I going to do, or what, what is a degree in, in English, where does that take me? And people often think teacher. And I know you were a college instructor. How did that come about? Also, just say yes. You know, uh, I needed the work, and um, uh, I think a friend of mine was working at George Brown teaching communications, and she said they need people. So I applied and got hired and taught there, you know, on and off sessionally for quite a number of years. I don't even remember how long. Um, it, it was, uh, it wasn't my first teaching gig. Um, I've sort of been teaching since I was about 14 years old. Um, uh, it's something, I, I, I'm patient. I think that's what, I'm patient and I'm empathetic and I was a terrible student and so I understand that not everybody learns the same way and I think um, that's an important part of, of being a good teacher is figuring out how to approach different learning styles and different thought processes. Hmm. Sometimes the, uh, the worst students become the best teachers just for that very reason because they understand what doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. And then this job here at the Hospitality Workers Training Center, how did, how did it come about? So, like I said, I, I, um, I was looking for work. This is one of the problems with being ill-defined is that, um, you know, your next gig. Uh, one of my kids makes fun of me. He says that, uh, you know, I, I work myself out of jobs. I set everybody else up to be successful and then they don't need me anymore. And so then I'm, you know, every few years looking for a new job. Um, he said, you got to stop doing that. You know, <laughs> you got to make yourself indispensable rather than helping other people be indispensable. So, uh, so I find myself, you know, every few years looking for the next gig. And um, uh, I was looking for something and uh, this, training manager position showed up at the hospitality workers training center. And the truth was that it was a significant pay cut. It was, um, you know, a, a lesser title than I had been working at, but I needed a job. So I said, okay. And I, um, and it, you know, they were looking for somebody with management and adult education and an understanding of hospitality. And, and uh, you know, when you're building curriculum for, learning how to work in a kitchen kind of helps to have worked in a kitchen, have run a kitchen. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, the, the culmination of skills that are transferable. And, and uh, if you 
that back, back to the theme of are you indispensable there and are you going to work yourself out of a job here at this center and uh, maybe that happens. What is next for you? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea what's next. What's, what's next is that my novel sells and somebody picks up the movie rights and I never have to work again and all I get to do is write. But, you know, that's the... That's as far as planning goes. I have no idea. I mean, the, the, you know, right here I'm right now, and and uh, there's this newfound kind of um, thing called mindfulness and being in the moment. And uh, I, I have very much been in the moment most of my career. This is what I'm doing now. And you sound like you have some balance with that. Some others are very nervous about allowing things to unfold and and yet you seem quite calm and and able to ride those waves of change what's the secret um trauma trauma is the secret because with trauma you recognize that planning doesn't help anticipating is just a way of setting yourself up for a crash so i don't so i just say you know I can't tell you what's coming around the corner. Um, been sideswiped too many times. And uh, so it's not, it's not something I have control over. So I've kind of given up the idea of control. Mm. Nice. Um, I know at this time here, it's late April 2021, um, in the third wave of the pandemic here in Ontario. And you actually are trying to recruit um, some people. I know you have a big project going on right now. And if there's any listeners um, who might have the right skill set, what, um, what should they do? What are you looking for and what should they do? Uh, I'm desperately trying to recruit a training manager. Um, the people could actually go to our website, um, www.hospitalitytrainingcenter.com. And uh, our jobs are all posted there. We we are in the midst of a major scaling up, taking on a big project, um, which, you know, in some ways looks like, why would anybody take this on? Because it's kind of crazy. Plan looks great on paper. We're about to roll it out. Um, but again, why say no? Say yes. What's the worst thing that could happen? I'm not doing brain surgery. Not going to kill anybody. Right Maybe on. Maybe get jobs. All right. So if people are interested, they should check it out at uh, hospitality. What is it? Hospitalitytrainingcenter.com? Yes. And um, Ruth, you've shared with us some twists and turns in your own experience. Um, what can you share with listeners about making good choices, about making career and life choices when faced with questions or challenges, as many are now during these uncertain times. Uh, what can you share with listeners that you've learned from your own story? Uh, well, certainly just say yes. And um, long gone are the days of, you know, you step into a job in your youth and you retire from the same job. Uh, it, we live in a, uh, a gig economy. Um, and every single job you do, uh, adds to your skill set, adds to your experience. Um, and there, you know, uh, nothing's forever. So do it for now, 
don't say no, say yes. Um, and it might not pay enough right now. It might not have the right title right now, but it's not going to do you any harm. And if it does quit, Great advice. Ruth Rakoff, thanks so much for joining us here on Career Buzz today. Thanks for having me, Mark. You're listening to Career Buzz on CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto and worldwide at CIUT.FM. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. Before continuing on with today's show, I want to let listeners know about the Career Buzz podcast episodes of Inspiring Career Stories. Go to careercycles.com and click podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app for Career Buzz and do leave us a review. Have a listen, for example, to the panel of early career professionals after a graduate degree. How did they navigate a job search in uncertain times? What worked and didn't work? And what's the story behind their present-day success? See the February 10th episode of Career Buzz. And... How do you get a job becoming a forest firefighter? Listen to Dean Rosen on the March 16th episode of Career Buzz. Go to careercycles.com and click podcast or subscribe to Career Buzz on your favorite podcast app. Up next in today's show, how has the pandemic affected the airline industry? What do you do if you're a flight attendant or an in-flight manager waiting for everyone to get back on planes? We're joined by Adam Pisarek, in-flight manager for Air Canada Rouge. All right, Adam Pisarek, welcome to Career Buzz. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. So uh, what do you like about your career these days, Adam? So these days, our you know, aviation industry is quite literally you know, grounded. But what I've appreciated about it the most during these challenging times when most people are sitting at home and, you know, waiting for <laughs> the airport to kind of reopen, uh, I do really like how everyone's very connected still. Throughout the internal Air Canada portals, there is a sense of community still being fostered through, you know, weekly town hall meetings. We have contests, newsletters, just to kind of keep morale up and just to ensure that we are all kind of on the same page. Um, so I've kind of enjoyed that, that I'm still able to feel very much connected to everyone, even though a lot of us have been misplaced or are kind of just yeah, grounded, um, which, which has been sad to see kind of our industry, which was booming so, so much before this, you know, Air Canada stocks were up. We were seeing a lot more expansions within our network throughout, you know, Asia, the Middle East, um, South America, but of course, because of the pandemic, everything has just really quite literally been grounded. So we're, we're waiting. We're, we're trying to be patient. <laughs> so, so just to be clear, you still have a job. You're, you're an in-flight manager for Air Canada Rouge. Even with the planes mm-hmm. grounded, you, you're, you've kept your job. How has that worked over these, yeah. these past, this past yeah. year? So, so actually, it's been, it's been quite funny because quite literally as well, my, my colleagues and I, months to month, we kind of wait to hear about further news and updates. And uh, back in April, April 1st would have been when I got uh, officially furloughed. We were given the option of if we want to go on EI or if we want to go on the SUS subsidiary wage. And f- for everyone who chose to do SUS subsidiary wage, 
it, it seemed like as the safe bet to go with because you would still be getting paid underneath our payroll. And that comes with the commitment that you are staying with our company. You're not moving on to any other work. And you are kind of committed to coming back to your role whenever, you know, the, the demand is there and they need you to be trained and ready to go. Um, so quite uh, interesting it has been because, yeah, every few months we find out whether or not we're getting extended or not. But um, we have been extended with each time that they kind of send out new prompts to us and emails and notifications, I find out that a few of my other colleagues have been unfortunately terminated or cut from the team. So with each extension, we find out that there's been, you know, a certain amount, you know, a percentage that they have to cut down to make sure that they are able to actually not go bankrupt and are able to stay afloat. So it's been very, um, it, it's unsettling because there isn't that, you know, I don't have, I wish I could like, you know, look far out in the distance and know that that job will be secure there. I don't have that security exactly. So, um, you know, with each month, each two months, three months, I'm just, you know, patiently waiting to see, you know, am I going to get cut this time or am I going to get, you know, extended again? And uh, I really do think that comes with, um, they look at your job performance, how you were doing right before, uh, we have constant, you know, reviews and evaluations. So clearly I was doing something right, which has kept me there, which I'm really happy about. Um, I was really passionate about my job. I was very committed to the role. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I love I love aviation. I love the idea that you get to work with people from all cultures and all corners of the world, different ages, you name it. Um, so monthly, <laughs> monthly, we, we find out essentially what's going on. Yeah, it must be quite unsettling to just uh, be waiting around to see, do I have a job for, for another week or another month, <laughs> even even as other people are losing theirs, which must be tough. Yeah. So, and, and what's the forecast? What, you know, here we are late April uh, 2021, as we speak in the midst of the third wave here in Ontario. Yeah. Um, what are you hearing from, from your employer, Air Canada Rouge, about possibilities for the, for the coming months? So, um, like similar to the headlines that, you know, any of the popular news channels of Canada are, are commenting on and, and publishing, uh, with each few months, there's cuts, like we mentioned already. Uh, right now, from the last that I've learned from my, my, my superior, is that there is roughly 2,000 employees left throughout all of our bases. So for Air Canada Mainline, Air Canada Rouge, Air Canada Jazz, and Air Canada Cargo, there's only 2,000 employees left on this uh, particular furlough um, plan. So there's only 2,000 of us who are doing SUS subsidiary wages. And uh, we actually just received a bailout from the government just a few weeks back and that money is to essentially allow for Air Canada to kind of rebuild its network and and its planned, you know, uh, you know, organization of their operation because, of course, everything's been grounded. And um, we hadn't received a bailout. And actually, most other airlines, especially the you know the national carriers, Air Canada is pretty much the big leagues it, uh, within Canada, right? Uh, it's the most recognizable. That's you, You're flying the Canadian flag when you go on one of our flights. We're very proud that it's all Canadian-based. But uh, we had been working with the government to 
bring passengers back. We were doing ferry flights to make sure we were rescuing and just making sure everything was okay. Because at the beginning of this, no one knew that, you know, how extreme this is going to be, right? People were quite literally panicking and we had to kind of step in and work with the government to, to make sure, you know, Canadians got, got home safely before, you know, the borders closed down. So for us to finally get this bailout, which other countries have gotten months and months before to kind of help rebuild and plan that operation and kind of grow uh, has been great. I just don't know um, what's now going to happen. They, they just announced this. So they're just in talks right now about what they're going to do with that money. And we're kind of we're waiting to kind of get the next um, internal email from our superiors just to hear what they're trying to do with that money. But from what it sounds like, they really just want to make sure they are emphasizing and focusing on rebuilding Air Canada to 100% of its demand and capacity. Because, you know, like most people know, those aircrafts can't sit on the on the you know ground for too long. They have to be continuously, you know, maintenance has to come in, continuously have to be flying. Um, so it's costly. It's a very, you know, costing um industry and there's a lot of money at stake so i'm happy the government has kind of stepped in mm. my guest today is adam pisarek he's an in-flight manager at air canada rouge and i'm your host mark franklin here on career buzz so it's a it's a strange time isn't it adam for for all of this um, before the pandemic just to help listeners understand you started as a flight attendant service director mm-hmm. became an in-flight manager um, how, how did you get the job in the first place? Uh, I actually applied on a whim. Uh, I was looking for a summer job. I was in between uh, my summer months, between my undergraduate degree at University of Western Ontario, and I saw this posting. They were looking for you know a flight attendant who was bilingual, and I thought, well, this is great. I I have family in Eastern Europe. I would love to travel to see them. And I had heard about all these fantastic benefits and programs that come with the job. And when I actually applied, I realized it was actually a full-time career <laughs> that I was uh, embarking on. And it it was a little bit daunting, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. This seems like something I want to do, something I want to pursue. And so uh, on and off, I was, yeah, flight attendant. I was service directing on our flights throughout Europe, South America, Caribbean, you name it. And uh, while I was trying to balance finishing my undergrad, um, I tried doing that. And so when I came back after completing my full education, that's when I kind of shifted into the managerial role as an in-flight manager because I kind of now had the education and the skills to kind of move on up. And um, I think with becoming a flight attendant, you you realize that – you're not home often. It's it's a 24-hour operation, right? So you're just all over. So I wanted to make sure that I could kind of ground myself and kind of build something for myself in Toronto, closer to my family and my peers. Hmm. And so you're mentioning your education, I know. Um, so you said that Western University, and and prior to that, you were also in a um, in a arts high school. Art school. Yes, and yeah. so, so how did the, you know, just to connect the dots from the arts high school to what you studied at Western and see how that might play out in such a people-oriented job like being a flight yeah. attendant. So how do those dots connect? Well, I actually, one of my favorite teachers from uh, my arts school, he was actually a flight attendant himself. And he 
it was funny. He would come in and only work on days that he wasn't um, working. And what most people don't know about flight attending and that aviation side is that you can have a lot of days off. You could be kind of planted to work only one to two flights per month. And then you have the rest of the month off and that's your time, uh, your discretion. And so we had this one teacher back in the school who, who he would do that. And he would essentially go from teaching to flying and he would just come back with all these stories. And, and he was a very, you know, personable guy. He was very energetic, very outgoing. And I, you know, I was doing theater at the time and I love theater, but I knew I was never, you know, <laughs> like going to ever become like an A-list uh, superstar on Broadway. So it, it kind of blended really well because to become a flight attendant and just even work in the aviation sector, everyone who I talk to, yeah, they're everyone's so outgoing, so personable. You're very on all the time, just making sure that everything's working well. It's a very communicative role. So uh, it, it really blended nicely. It took my interests of travel and also took kind of my my previous uh, education and experience in, you know, stage presence and, you know, being comfortable to speak in front of hundreds of people if you're doing trainings, you name it. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a very interesting blend. I did not expect to kind of come into the aviation world. I always saw, saw myself going into marketing. That's what I studied in school. But um, within my role now or my, my past role, um, I have done a little bit of marketing for them, which was great. But um, I saw that there was a lot more opportunities that you could kind of go into. So it's been really, really fascinating. And I've been just happy to be as young as I am and be able to kind of move throughout and kind of be given opportunities that, um, you know, aren't usually given out to young uh, professionals, especially in this time, right? Right on. So and, and just... Back there with that inspirational teacher, that was the Etobicoke School of the Arts, right? Yeah. And, and so the inspirational teacher. So the the seed it sounded like it was planted back there. Um, Honestly, a bit, yeah. And, and but then at Western, what what was the degree choice there? And it sounds like the the you know aviation was a possibility, but now you're mentioning marketing. So how did these things jive in, in the the choice of degree at Western? So yeah, definitely, I believe my teacher kind of planted that seed for me just hearing about how his lifestyle was, <laughs> you know, so glamorous, you know, he's one day in Toronto, the next day he's having lunch and, you know, in Paris, and then he's back for the weekend back in Toronto. And that was his whole weekend. You know, that whole idea to me sounded so fascinating. And I, I've always wanted to travel the world. My, my family is huge into traveling. They're avid travelers. And both of my siblings have, lived abroad for quite some time and uh, I kind of want to follow in their footsteps and this is kind of my way into getting into that but I only really realized that I wanted to get into aviation because once I was in my marketing program I thought you know I could use my creative juices that were kind of flowing from my arts background I could kind of utilize that in a creative way throughout marketing and agency work but um, I quickly found that I wasn't as engaged or as passionate in my education, in my experience at university. And so that's kind of why I took the leap of faith to, to move on to that Air Canada job because I was like, you know what, this is something I'm going to try out and it might <laughs> fail. and might, I might realize that I don't want to be doing this and I need to go back to school, you know, ASAP. But um, 
it really worked well together and I was able to still finish my, my degree on time with my other peers and colleagues. Uh, and that, you know, came with me having to do online schooling while I was, you know, laying over in Spain. You know, I, I had to bring my computer sometimes just to finish coursework. Um, so it, it all blended really well. I don't, I, I laughed to my friends all the time and my, my parents even, we laughed that it was such an odd choice for me, but um, it, it has worked out well because it really complements my personality and who I am. And, and I'm a, I'm a people person. So aviation is all about that. You've got to be able to connect with people. And that's what I was telling you, I guess, uh, a little bit earlier on is in aviation, you're working with people from all corners of the world. You know, there isn't one particular person. It, it's, it's, it's so fascinating. I've been so lucky to meet people and, and be able to learn about new cultures and perspectives that I wouldn't have had being in my, my bubble uh, if I'd gone just to my University of Western um, choice. <laughs> Uh, my guest today is Adam Pisarek. He's an in-flight manager with Air Canada Rouge here on Career Buzz. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. Um, so, Adam, it, it, you you progressed quickly. Like you were you you were basically finishing a degree and being a flight attendant at the same time for like over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so you've only graduated, I think, in 2019. Yes, and yeah. and that seems to coincide with this promotion to the in-flight manager. Can can you tell listeners a little bit about how that works? People are always interested in career advancement. You seem to have done it really quickly. Um, so how did that work that you advanced so quickly? And what were the new responsibilities as the in-flight manager? I believe Air Canada, being such a big corporation, they're continuously looking for you know candidates who are you know, willing to step up to the challenge and move around. There is a lot of opportunity for uh, growth within the company. There are constantly uh, new projects, new initiatives that you can even uh, take on, even if you don't want to maybe commit to to a new role. You can take on something for one to two months. It's little projects and initiatives that they put on to just let you feel out if maybe a corporate setting would be better for you. Um, from the beginning, I I was quite, uh, you know, literate with, um, I just, you know, I, let me rephrase this, actually. I I think I was pretty transparent from the beginning that I'm, I'm not here for a short haul. I'm here for the long haul. And I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone in whatever facet that looks like to ensure that they see that I'm committed and that I'm driven and I want to excel. And so from the beginning, I was, I was always putting my name down when we got internal emails to the flight attendant crew about, you know, brand ambassador work or, oh, can you come in and do a little bit of admin and just help us with the recruitment and training? And I was always one of the first ones to put my name down just because it interested me. I, I was young. I was, you know, this 19 year old who kind of could be shaped and molded to what they were looking for. And um, that's what I really like about Air Canada is that they are, they are, they know that, you know, young people, young professionals are kind of the future. They need someone to, to take on what they've created. And so I, I think I, I was one of those people who fit into that category really well for them. And like I said, I was just very transparent from the beginning that, I'm not here for the short haul. So I think for anyone who's ever looking into getting into aviation, there's 
lots of growth within it. I think sometimes people get scared that they're not qualified. I felt very underqualified to get in, into my managerial role where, you know, we are managing roughly 200 flight attendants per, per manager. We're ensuring that the crew members are following protocols, staying up to date with regulations. Um, we're doing recruitment. We have to train them. But it comes, it comes with the time. Um, Air Canada, like I said, it's a huge corporation. They have really, really great training in place for all of their uh, employees. So it takes a little, you know, you have to pass all your courses. There's exams. But um, like I said, the training is there. So you can quite literally take someone who has never had experience in aviation or doesn't know about aviation. And I, I have heard of flight attendants who I used to work with who had never even stepped on an aircraft before, which was like, mind-boggling to me because you know I had loved travel before and that was like a huge thing that I tried selling to them when I did my first interview but you can really mold a person to understand how the operation and planning works so yeah so it's it's impressive like for somebody who's probably not even 25 yet um, if I have that right to be managing now as you said uh, uh, 200 flight attendants and building all of these skills and uh, recruiting. And it might surprise listeners to find out that, uh, you know, a flight attendant job isn't a flight attendant job in a way. It's a manager job with all of these people skills and all of these other um, activities and tasks that aren't just doing the flight attendant work that many people are familiar with when they take a flight and they see what a flight attendant looks like. For sure. Uh, I think there is definitely myths and and we have people who come on board all the time and they don't really know what the role really looks like and so unless you you know someone or you have a colleague a loved one who's in it they're the ones who are kind of giving you the the full picture of what what it encompasses which which i've loved yeah and and people are always interested in the money um can you share like a a range adam even like if people enter into that you know, how much money can you make as a flight attendant? And then if you move up, as you've done to a role such as in-flight manager, what, what is the range there? Yeah, so what's really cool about Air Canada and with flight attending is you are unionized, right? So with the unionized position, there's always going to be pay increases. And they work, you know, per calendar year. How long of your continuous service have you worked here at our company? And... You know, we you can go on a flight sometimes and you see a crew member who is very young, like myself, or you have a crew member who is a little bit older and they've had a lot more experience and they've been doing this for, you know, 15 to 20 plus years. So I would say the, the starting rate, you're looking at anything between maybe 30,000 annually to, to a, to a 40,000 annually um, scale. And then once you've reached, you know, if you, if you're there for 20 plus years, some of those flight attendants and service directors are making anything between 60, 60,000 to, to 80,000, uh, per, per year. And with the corporate side, um, it does shift a little bit more because instead of you being, um, given the unionized perspective, you are now not unionized. So that was a decision I had to make when I left my service directing and flight attending position to become a in-flight manager, I had to kind of make that choice that, okay, I'm going to lose technically my, what I've been building for myself with my pay increases as a unionized member. But now as a salary based, you know, um, you know, salary based employee, you have an option of, um, 
you know, you get bonuses, you have an access to stocks. Air Canada is huge on their stocks, and it's really cool that they actually allow for their employees to enter into the stock trade uh, with their own uh, pensions um, and kind of reap the benefits that way. And so each year, you're also making an extra amount allotted from the stocks that you have invested in through your own pension. So it, it can now range. It really can range. I'm telling you, you know, when I first started, yes, I, I was a little bit sad. I was like, I need money to, to kind of uproot and live in Toronto on my own because Toronto is just getting very more, you know, it's getting expensive. Everyone knows that. And, um, you have flight attendants who I'm, I'm friends with colleagues of mine who, who are comfortable making, you know, close to 70, 80,000 range. And, uh, that works for them. That's their lifestyle. And they're able to still travel full time yet, you know, be at home, maybe a little bit more. So, but yeah, just to, to, to be clear, you've stepped out of that unionized role and now into management yeah. where there is more opportunity for growth and advancement. Yeah. And, I, and I so, so what's next after uh, an in-flight manager? Where, where do people go from here? What's next for you? Uh, my passion is obviously, um, I love the training aspect. So that's where my passion came in. So before everything happened with the pandemic and with the airlines grounding their operations, I was trying to shift my work into the just training. I really enjoyed teaching people customer service and showing them what you know good service looks like on board, especially if you're working with business flyers, if you're working with elite passengers. How do you tailor the service for you know first class to to all the way back to the economy? How do you how do you ensure that everyone is enjoying their experience and their service and everyone's kind of treated the same? Um, I really enjoyed that. So right before uh, pandemic, I was training and I was focusing on our customer service side. So I was flying in between Toronto and Orlando. We we do um, work with the Disney Institute. We collaborate with the Disney Institute, and we train our flight attendants over there because we believe that you know everyone knows Disney World. That is such a staple in North American and Westernized uh, culture. So. We take our our upcoming flight attendants who have passed, you know, all of their safety training and have to now pass all their customer service to Orlando to work with the Disney Institute. And so my last kind of role and something that I was trying to dip my toes into was being that, you know, affiliate for affiliates, sorry, pardon me, um, for Air Canada to essentially, yeah, train, train everyone and be that Air Canada representative there to help everyone gradually blend and collaborate with Disney Institute. So I hope I can get into that again. I, like I said, I had that marketing experience. And so I as well had uh, done a little bit of marketing work for Air Canada, but that's a little bit harder to get into because uh, we, we have such a strict um, marketing perspective for that. So you can't really dip your toes into that as much, but I did try, I did a few internal emails, I was working on some of our, you know, graphics and our online portals. I did a little bit of coding for them, which is fun work. But like I said, it's not as easy to get into. So right. But some of the pieces of the story now converge. There's the, yeah. uh, the theater and performance from high school. There's the marketing <laughs> from university. 
and now yeah. the training opportunities. So it sounds like the, the, you know, the threads of all of these different experiences are coming together nicely. If we get to a, a last question, Adam, you've shared a bit of your, the twists and turns that have brought you here. What can you share with listeners? Um, who might be trying to deal with career questions, especially during the pandemic. I mean, it's not easy, and there's a lot of uncertainty that you've shared in your story, but what can you share with listeners about insights you've learned about making good choices? I believe, you know, you have to be willing to take a chance. I think stepping out of your comfort zone will always allow you to evolve. Um, Being willing to take criticism and feedback in order to move forward is huge, something that I think is really valuable that sometimes young professionals are a bit worried to kind of step into because we don't feel as developed in our technical skills yet. But especially during the pandemic, I found that you can use, you know, social media platforms to help and benefit you. So, you know, as we're navigating very much an online world now, thanks to the pandemic not allowing us to be face-to-face with people, I find that you have to stay up-to-date with LinkedIn, you know, Clubhouse, Twitter, just to see what, you know, in my perspective, what's happening with the aviation sector. I'm able to now connect and blend with, with crew members, with other managers who, who are all over all over the country, who, who are speaking on, on what's to happen next. I'm able to, you know, connect on LinkedIn with you know, head of chief operations who I wouldn't have known if I didn't have had him on LinkedIn. And, you know, he's posting each and every day and you can kind of speak with him about, you know, oh, this is what the operation is going to look like in two months from now. This is what they have planned. And and I, I really do believe that people need to take advantage of of the online world now. You have to use those social media platforms to kind of build up. And like I said, just the willingness to evolve comes with, you know, just stepping up to a challenge um, getting yourself out of your comfort zone because at my age I wouldn't have I don't think the chances or opportunities I have right now if I hadn't you know stepped in in maybe of an awkward way but but just said like hey I'm here and I'm really willing to do the work I want to succeed I want to evolve as a young adult and professional so how can I do that great advice Adam step out of the comfort zone get into that learning zone and, and keep trying. So good luck to you as the uh, pandemic unfolds. And I hope uh, you, you keep on getting those calls to stick with, uh, stick with the company. Maybe we'll find, we'll get you back on the show afterwards and see how it all went. But Adam, oh, Basarek, thanks, yeah. thanks so much for joining us here on Career Thank Buzz. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Career Buzz. Stories show that who you are matters. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. You can find out more about me at careercycles.com. If you have any comments on today's show, please email me at uh, mark at careercycles.com or careerbuzz at ciut.fm. Thanks to my guests today, Adam Pisarek and Ruth Rakoff. Technical production today was by Lucy Welsh. Subscribe to Career Buzz on your favorite podcast app. Find it at the podcast link at careercycles.com. Catch Career Buzz every Wednesday at 11 a.m. here on CIUT. That's it for today's episode of Career Buzz. Thank you for listening.